For this week's episode of The Work, we caught up with Coach Penny Collins, the head coach of Tennessee State University and HBCU, and he's putting on for all the schools trying to get HBCUs back on top. We had a great conversation with Coach Penny about how he's putting on for the HBCUs. But first and foremost, I want to say happy Black History Month. We all know Black history is every month and every day, and history continues to be made. So we're excited to get into this episode with Coach Penny. Penny, what's up, man? How are you? Doing well, doing well. How you guys doing? Good, good. We're so happy that you're tuned in and that you were able to come on to the work. I know you're knee deep in the season, got a game coming up soon. So we'll get straight to it. The first question, our pinnacle question we ask every guest is, when was the first time that you realized that you were black? Uh, that's a that's a heavy question. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, just thinking about, honestly, I can, I really can't remember pinpoint the time where I knew for sure that there was a difference between black and white, but I, I can take that question a step further because I have a son who's seven years old and um, he's moved around all over the place from when I coached the East Tennessee State in Johnson City, Tennessee to Illinois, Illinois State, now back to Nashville. And I can honestly say that the knowing that you're black and white and uh, it's taught, you know, he really doesn't, no, he didn't know. I'm about to tell you a, a reason why. When he knew he was black, he really didn't know the difference between black and white. He, he really calls people, he, like he would call me brown. He would call you light brown. He would call a, a, a person, a white person, peach. Uh, you know, he, he calls people by their color. He doesn't see no color. And that's the way uh, it should be for everybody. But I would tell you that um, here recently, and education reform is real close to my heart. Here recently, they were, uh, when Martin King's birthday just passed, they talked about uh, MLK for the first time. And he brought a worksheet home that said, um, MLK wanted equal rights for blacks and whites on the worksheet. And it, it just, it just, it shocked uh, me when I read it, like, I know he wanted equal rights for everybody, but the way it's, it read was, is that uh, we wanted everybody to be treated equally and we wanted the blacks and the whites to be done right. But really we just wanted equal rights for blacks. And that's being taught to our children, you know, at an early age. And as soon as Black history starts, they start with slavery. Mm -hmm. And so my son, the first time, the first time he's ever taught about the color of his skin is slave and not what happened before we became slaves. So there's a large miseducation that goes on. And I, Chloe, I, I, not to be long-winded, I'm sorry, but the, the, uh, the, the touching part about it is these kids are learning, are learning this way. They learning this stuff even in 2020. And even though it's subliminal now credit to my schools, uh, my son's school, they took the worksheet out, but what's, what's uh, of their, of their uh, teaching, but what's, what's troubling is that worksheet is all across the world being taught to all of our kids. So that's the scariest part about this thing that we're growing up being right now. Social injustice is a front page of everybody's mind right now. But at the end of the day, the only way we're going to change is we got to keep on calling it out every chance we get. And that's a fact. That's a fact. Well, he's lucky to have a parent who can look at that and realize the dynamics because not everybody has that either. But I, I want to get a little more about your background because, you know, at a certain age, you start to realize those dynamics yourself. So, like, when was that for you and how did it develop over time? You know, I'm, I grew up in, in the basketball world. I'm a coach's son. And so the, the first time I saw 
the, the different sides of the streets and the way different people get treated differently is when you start traveling with, with my dad's high school team to play the private schools and you, you know you start saying damn this is nice compared to what we got you know so I, th I think that was the first experience of like there's another side there's another world uh, that you can live in and uh, you know I think that's when I first started kind of noticing it uh, now per personally I grew up obviously in basketball so when you're in athletics you, you're able to it's different you know you, you don't you don't feel that black and white or feel like you, you know, separated. Uh, you all just trying to compete for the same thing. And I played, I went to majority white high school, elementary schools and I went to majority black uh, middle schools and high schools. So I, I'm one of the lucky ones that kind of always saw both sides of it. And I ended up going to a PWI in Belmont University, which is a predominantly white school. And then now I'm coaching at HBCU. So I've been one of those guys that's been lucky to, to kind of see it all and, and, hear, and hear everybody's kind of their story. Uh, so I guess I'm just kind of one of the blessed people to see that. No, that's super real, Penny. And I think what hits for me is when you talk about when you travel, right, for basketball. So whether that be in high school and even college, you see all the different facilities you get in the locker room and you're like, dang, they're over here living like this. And so you do start to see those disparities so young and it's great. Well, I don't want to say it's great, but that you can see that through sport because there are a lot of people that are in the dark when it comes to that. And I know you did mention that you went to a PWI, Belmont. What was that experience like for you? It was a great experience for me personally, because like I said, I have been around so many different, you know, religions and races and genders. And I've been around so many different people and I, you know, I'm a coach's son. So I was, I'm able to kind of move in kind of different weather. Uh, but when I went to Belmont, it was, it wasn't a culture shock, but it was different being you know, when you're, in, when, you're in, when you're in fourth grade and you're the only black kid in the class or if it's three of y'all in there, you don't really like think about it too much. You're just having fun with everybody. Like I said, my son didn't even, doesn't even know, you know, what, what, what racism is. He doesn't know what it is yet. Um, but when you get in college and you're the only white guy, only black guy in class, and it's so funny that it's Black History Month right now, I can distinctly remember in Black History Month, we started talking about uh, Jack Johnson, the famous boxer. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Definitely. And I remember that, uh, we watched a documentary on it. And then as soon as the documentary goes off, the teacher says, well, Brian, how do you feel about it? And like everybody in class like, <laughs> like a movie. Yeah. I was like, you know, so it's little moments like that that you, you know, you take from, you look back and say, it was some uncomfortable moments, you know, you kind of say, but I also took it as a badge of honor with my teammates. I always gave them the real, you know, I took a lot of my teammates to their first black high school game, their first black church. You know, uh, they got a chance to experience stuff like that. So I always was excited to try to educate my teammates and educate people around me about, you know, how it is to live in our world. Yeah, I saw that you said it changed your life, which, I mean, that's what college is supposed to do. But I can definitely resonate with what some of your stories that you were talking about. I went to Michigan and I had a lot of those experiences and even in high school, like people were like, oh, Black history trivia. Brandon, what's the answer? You know what I mean? Like that was always the case. But I want to talk about your journey, you know, from Belmont, and it, it looks like you could hoop a bit back in the day uh, to now becoming the coach and, and what brought you to TSU. Well, you know, it was, a, it was an interesting journey, man, to go to Belmont. And, you know, now they're a powerhouse in mid-major basketball. But when I got there, we were kind of starting that trend. And my senior year, we went to the first NCAA tournament, and I, I played for Rick Bird, a legendary coach. And uh, to see that program where they are now, it's, it's a good feeling. It feels good to know that I, was, I had a hand in helping that program become what it is today. And then just taking all those experiences that I've had uh, from 
from high school playing under my, you know, not, I didn't play under my dad, but learning under my father and him playing under Rick Birdie, Belmont and other places I've been, has gave me the opportunity to be, you know, real rounded to be the head coach at such an early age at, at Tennessee State. And Penny, so even when you were coming up though, did you consider any HBCUs at the time? Like, was there anyone that was on your radar that you thought about going to, but instead there was some reason why you chose Belmont instead? Yeah, it's a great, great question. And I'm, it's a long answer, but I'm gonna give you a quick one. All my family went to HBCUs. My mom, uh, my sister, my aunties, my cousins, everybody, my grandmother. Uh, everybody went to Tennessee State. I grew up on Tennessee State's campus, HBCU. So if you know anything about the homecomings and the fish fries and the parades, you know, I lived I lived all of that. Uh, and then when it was time for me to um, choose a school, it was no brainer for me. I wanted to go to Tennessee State. They recruited me uh, and I ended up committing to Tennessee State. And a long story short, right when it was time for me to uh, commit, I mean, to assign, uh, the, the head coach at the time wanted me to uh, kind of basically just be on the team and walk on since I was an in-state kid. You know, he kind of basically took the scholarship away from me and told me that he had another guy he wanted to get, but he still wanted me on the team. You know what I mean? So shout out to my mom, Mrs. Collins. She came in and said, I'm sorry, my son's got other scholarship offers. He ain't taking a walk on spot. <laughs> we love TSU. Now my mom was a TSU through and through. She had AKA. My grandma was an AKA. So y'all know what I'm talking about. You know, my, my family is the family that don't, doesn't go to the fish fry. We are working the fish fry. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah. that's my family. We, we, we in it, in it, in it. So she, as much as she, and I said that to say, she loved TSU. My family loves TSU, the HBCU experience. I love it. I wanted to go bad. I committed. And the, the coach at the time just didn't, you know, it, he wanted to go a different direction, which I, I totally understand it. You know, basketball is a business. You got to do what's best for your program. And, uh, he wanted me on the team still, but I just decided that it was it would make more sense for me and my family to get a full scholarship to somewhere in Belmont that was there and with an opportunity and I took it. Yeah, that's understandable. Yeah. So I gotta tell you, uh, when you talk about the homecoming, so I was actually, I was in middle school, right? And we had this program at our church. I went to the uh, oldest black church in Grand Rapids. My uncle was the pastor. So I had that surrounding. And one of uh, the the church, one of the older gentlemen, I think he was a deacon or something. He was a he was a kappa, and he brought all of the young black men down to the homecoming, Tennessee State. Uh, so that was my first time going to homecoming. I'm in middle school, and it was it was lit. Like yeah. I remember being in the um, the gym. They had the, the everybody strolling. They had I, I remember the tubas. The tubas were fire. Um, so I would love for you to talk a little bit more about Tennessee State, the history, like what what it brings. We saw that, you know, even Wilma Rudolph, like some of the legacy and everything else. Yeah, man, it's, it's a rich tradition, it, 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 not only in athletics, but in, in all facets of the institution. It's It's got so many important people that came here. The most popular person, obviously, is Oprah. You know, she's every time I bring her name up, people, some people don't even know, you know, that she went to HBCU or attended. Tennessee State, but uh, you know, you look at uh, from the NFL standpoint, we we produce the most NFL players in, uh, out of all HBCUs, and then when you look at the NBA, we promote, uh, we produce the most NBA players out of all HBCUs, and then we got a legendary track program, Tiger Bells, which Wilma Rudolph, as popular as all these NBA players and NFL players are, nobody's more popular than Wilma Rudolph and what she did at the Olympics. You know, uh, there's a famous story of uh, around this, around the 70s or 80s, right when she kind of got finished. Uh, the track team was doing something over in China and everybody came up to her asking where was Wilma and all the way in China like 
Wilma Rudolph was massive, you know, what she did. She was Michael Jordan, the track basically. And she came from right here at TSU. And then uh, just moving right along, we've had number one draft picks. We've had guys go on to win NBA championships and be NBA all-stars from TSU. And the biggest thing that we always uh, tell kids is that they don't even know, they don't know the history of, uh, of not just Tennessee State, but the HBCUs. It's, it's always been kind of looked at as like, oh, I can just go there if I want to. That's a, my second, third option or I'll fall, my fallback plan. But uh, back in the day when, when they weren't allowing us to play at some of these power five schools, that's where all the top talent went. You know, I, I think about my favorite running back, Walter Payton. When I played Tecmo Bowl, <laughs> I got the Bears and I'm running that thing with Payton if I wasn't running with Bo Jackson. And uh, Walter Payton with the Jackson State. You know, a lot of people don't know. There's so much rich tradition here. And uh, it's really time for it, for it to come back. And I, and I believe that I'm really starting to see a trend. But the biggest thing for me, uh, Brandon and Chloe, is that the education that these kids know the history of these programs and these institutions and know that a lot of these programs, institutions, you guys are saying you want to be pros, they're going to these power five schools that haven't produced more pros than some of these HBCUs. So it's just good to, that they know what's really out there, that they have options and that they can bring the power back to wherever they want to go. Yeah, and that's, so that's exactly what I want to ask you about, Penny, because you do talk about, you know, all it takes is one and really just transforming a program overnight by getting some of these top stars. How do you say to them or what, what goes into really telling them that they make the school and that the school doesn't necessarily make them? Well, the, the biggest thing, Chloe, is that they got, they got to realize it's bigger than just them. Um, it's a, if you really care about, and I'm not making this about black and white because it's not about that, but we're talking about HBCUs, which directly affect the African-American community. And if the African-American community, if the, uh, if, the, if the programs are thriving and the colleges are thriving, the communities, the communities around the universities thrive as well. Businesses uh, start booming. Uh, you start creating more jobs for uh, the community that's around the campus. You know, you go, I, I take Belmont, for example, take University of Kentucky, whatever school you want to, any program is thriving. Look at the businesses that are around them and the jobs that they're creating. Look at the merchandise that's being sold. Look at everything that comes with that. And that athlete or those athletes, um, they, they change that. They have the power to change that. Um, if Zion Williamson decided to go to Hampton, Hampton would have been on ESPN every game. That eliminates them from saying, well, they, Hampton don't play on TV. Well, they will if Zion's playing. You know, ESPN will call him right away. Over time, you guys will be on the phone with him right away. You know, you guys can control the narrative. And uh, there's an opportunity for, and it doesn't have to be the number one player in the country. It doesn't have to be that. It just has to be a, some, a group of young men that want to say, you know what, your son's history book, Coach Penny, where they were talking about Dr. Martin Luther King and they weren't saying his story right. I want to be in chapter eight. And they say, and they say we were the guys that changed college basketball and decided to bring the power back. I want to be in those history books. I want to be some, a young man that people can remember us by. And I don't want to be the 80th NBA player from one of these programs. I want to be the first one to take a program to the HBCU to the final four. I want to be the first. I want to make history. And you got you got to have some young men. That, they got some special people around them, some parents, uh, some AAU coaches, some uncles and nieces, aunties. They're all saying the same thing. For that to happen, it's going it's going to have to be a collective group. You know, it's a uh, you know, <laughs> I keep on going back to this worksheet, this 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 uh this assignment. But I don't think y'all really understand. People don't really understand how powerful that is. That's being taught everywhere. So do you think it's just going to be one conversation or two people that can help change this? 
it's gonna, for us to be able to change it, it's not gonna be just black people. Everybody's gonna have to come together and make people understand that equality is not written in a, on a worksheet, um, subliminally saying that <laughs> everybody was happy back then. We just want it equal for everybody. No, that's not true. For us to really make, create change, everybody has to do what we're doing right now, have these uncomfortable conversations at times and be real and, and make people understand that the power is really in your hands. Yeah, it's definitely an institutional change. It's not just a one conversation change, no doubt. Um, and we've seen that momentum, right? Like we've seen, um, you know, with, with Howard and McCour Maker, and we've seen Sequoia Allman, and obviously what what Dion's doing at Jackson State. So how do you how do you sustain this? Like, what do you need to do? What does the program need to do to sustain this momentum or capture this moment? Versus, you know, two years from now, it's not in the in the memory anymore. Like, how do you keep this going? Yeah, I, th I think it's going to take total buy-in uh, from a, a, from a community of people, uh, a region of people to say, hey, we're going to make sure this gets done. And not only make sure it gets done financially, uh, they're taken care of too. They're stable. And then when these athletes get into these campuses that they feel comfortable and they don't look around and say, well, we don't have, oh, yeah, we do. We have everything we need. And um, and it shouldn't be judged off wins and losses, you know. Uh, and I'm, I'm not here. You know, it doesn't matter. Like my boy Jay-Z said on that uh, – on, on that uh, – <laughs> On that song, you said we can go 0 for 82, and I can look at this like it's gravy. <laughs> I mean, it don't matter. You know, Kentucky's struggling right now too. Ain't nobody talking about they ain't going to Kentucky next year. You know, so it's not about winning and losing. And every every one ain't done kid, if they if Maker Maker goes, at, he's at Howard right now, okay. And shouts out to Howard. I'm glad they got him. But if if Maker Maker doesn't go one and done, it's not a failure. It doesn't mean the next kid doesn't shouldn't try. You know, there's a bunch of kids that go power fives that are quote unquote one and done, and they don't go. They still keep going these power fives. So it, it shouldn't be judged. We shouldn't be putting unfair pressure on them saying, oh, if he goes to Tennessee State, if he ain't one and done, they should never go no more. Oh, they got to win a championship. Oh, he got to do this. No, he don't. He got to go there, get his education, be taught, go eat that fish food, go eat that fish fry, enjoy that homecoming, be a kid. And then on Thursday night when we, when we play a conference game, who? You know, and at the end of the season, if you end up being John Morant and go first round, good for you. You got to come back for your second year. You getting another year of college and, and, and getting taught academics and sharpening your mind. It's not all about you have to go be this pro or you got to win championships or you got to win 30 plus games. Go and play for some for a program that's going to take that young man, take that young boy to a man and teach him some values so that he becomes a husband or, uh, or a father one day. He's going to be ready and, and sharp for life. And then in the midst of us doing that, he's going to become a pro if, he, if it's meant to be, whether he's at Duke or Tennessee State. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more in that sense, Penny. And also, too, to your point, it's like you want to develop these boys into young men, which is really important. And I think it's also really important that they receive that type of teaching from another Black man as well. And when you think about one and done situations, why do you think some of these kids think that they can't go one and done if they go to an HBCU? Well, it's being taught to them, just like that worksheet. <laughs> I Man, that worksheet pissed me off, as y'all can tell. <laughs> it's being taught, it's being taught. And this is no knock on any culture from uh, you know different genders, uh, I mean, excuse me, races, excuse me. Um, because they're great coaches, you know, every race, white, black, Asian, it doesn't matter. There are great coaches everywhere. Um, but to your point, um, 
there are so many people that have imprinted in people's minds that there's only one way to skin a cat, and that's not true. Um, you can do it any kind of way you want to do it, and that's that's the whole that's the whole beauty of this thing. Be the first, you know. Your organization be the first, you know. I tell you like this: y'all seen the movie Glory Road? Yeah. That was a moment in college basketball history. We started five African American men in national uh, the national championship game, and they beat Kentucky, who had Pat Riley. You know what I'm saying? And then you fast forward a little bit uh, forward to the uh, not a little bit, a lot forward to the Fab Five mission. They didn't win a national championship, but they were groundbreaking. They were trendsetters. Were those were those uh, baggy shorts and those black Nike socks? You know, I don't know if you remember this. Do you remember UNLV when they were when, when they when they had uh, Larry Johnson and Stacey Augman? Larry Johnson had go to you know them boys swagged up. That was a moment in college basketball history. And then you think about the one and dones with, with Calipari did when he had you know he had the Derrick Roses and he comes with the John Walls and Boogie Cousins and those guys, Anthony Davis. People remember that moment. Like that was a great team. But there have been plenty of teams that have won championships or have been successful. But what's going to be the next group that you're going to say, Howard, do y'all remember when this happened? Do y'all remember when those young men decided to do this? Well, it's time, it's time for some new history to be made. You know, what's it going to be? You know, what I mean, who's going to do it? You know, it, this is the time right now. It's, it's no better time than, than some young men to come together and say, you know what? Let's all go here. And let's make our mark in history the same way those other groups I just talked about did. I love that. I'm ready. I'm ready to suit up right now. You got me <laughs> hyped. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I, I've read a little bit, but I've heard about some of your goals. You kind of mentioned some of them here. I mean, cultural impact clearly is one. Yeah. What are your What are your short term goals for the program? What are your long term goals? We want to be a well respected program in Tennessee State. We want young men that come from good backgrounds that, that want to have a chance to make history come here. Uh, not just to, uh, like I said, not just to win championships and go to pro, but they want to come here and, and have their life sharp. You know, we don't just teach basketball. We do life skills with our young men, PowerPoint presentations, think, talking about how to change a tire, how to tie your tie. I mean, there's so much things we, we work on with our young men. Uh, but in the, in, in, in the long term, obviously, we want to uh, be a team that makes history and makes a run in the NCAA tournament, uh, contend for a national championship. You know, one of the people, one of the programs that I've always uh, admired uh, is Wichita State, and I saw what they did making a run to the Final Four. And that, to me, that program is another program that you think about Fred Van Fleet and Ron Baker. You're like, man, remember what they did? Like, I why if Wichita State can do it, why can't Tennessee State do it? You know, it's it's no difference. It's just going to take a bunch of young men that are probably uh, got a chip on their shoulder that has something to prove to all come together for one common goal. Got to be committed. I love that. And then. Even speaking on these kind of long-term goals, what do you think about Chris Paul's HBCU con for student athletes who aspire to play professionally and having something like that? Yeah, I'm, I'm loving what Chris Paul is doing. And I, uh, we need more of that. You know, we need more people bringing awareness to it. What he's doing is, is, is brilliant. I love it. Um, he has to continue to do it. And he needs people to help. You know, uh, one of the biggest guys that's helping us is Rob Covington. Who, who played at Tennessee State. Uh, he's, he's doing an unbelievable job for us. He just committed to building us a brand new practice facility. It's not many mid-major teams in the country that have their own practice facility, but we're gonna have the Robert Covington Pavilion coming soon. And uh, guys like Rob and, and Chris Paul, what they're doing is just, is priceless, unspecious. I can't even say thank you enough to the uh, awareness that they're bringing to HBCUs. I love that, shout out to Rob.
you know, he, he's obviously been putting on for HBCUs for a long time as well. Um, so definitely want to give him his flowers while we can. Um, so I have one more question for you. Uh, this was a quote that I found. You said that, you know, when you're talking to young athletes, you're not selling blackness, you're selling us. Uh, that statement was interesting to me. So what does that mean to you? Oh, uh, I reckon I'm, trying, I'm digging in my brain. And when I said that, I remember saying that in the interview and boy, you've done some research, boy. That was like a yawn. We, we own it. We own it. <laughs> All right. So I'm explaining. That's a great uh, question. So at the time that, um, you know, George Floyd was going on and uh, a lot of the interviews I was taking, people were basically saying, here's your window. Here's your chance. The world's looking. Are you going to sell the blackness? And are you going to sell the, 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 the pain, the struggle right now? This is why they should be coming to play for you. And I didn't, I didn't want to sell that. I didn't want to get rich off tragedy, something that we deal with daily. You know, George Floyd dying brought people's, let me rephrase that, George Floyd being murdered for eight minutes struck people's hearts across the world. And it's not like a told you so type of deal, but it was one of those things like, now y'all feel us. We've been singing this song. Dr. King been preaching this. Malcolm X has been preaching this. So I'm not gonna sell the fact that we black and lift every voice can sing. We've been singing that song. We want to, we want y'all, we want to sell our legacy and who we really are, our families, our tradition, our love, not just for black people, for everybody for mankind. This is not just some opportunity for HBCUs to let's get rich off the, all the bad stuff that's going on in the world. It's an opportunity for us to show everybody that we're just like you. I'm no different than John Calipari, Jim Beheim, or any other big time Caucasian coach. We're the same. If your heart is hurting for what happened, our heart has been hurting. So that was kind of the, that was kind of what where I was coming from with that comment of, yeah, we black, but it's because that's us, that's who we are. You know, I, I looked at a lot of coaches around the country putting statements out, uh, blanket statements, and putting their graphic on a statement about what was going on for social injustice. And me personally, I just decided that, uh, you know, I was asked, do you want to put a statement out, and I didn't because. What people were dealing with for a week, we've been dealing with it our whole lives. So that's kind of where I'm at with all of that. And, the main, and, I, and I don't want to drop the mic or nothing, but the main thing is that, um, and, it, and it happened. We all know it happened. It died down. People kind of stopped talking about it for a little while. And I'm glad conversations like this are being sparked right now in February because it's still an issue. You know, or have we gotten better? Are we taking our people more aware? Absolutely. But um, one, one, one blanket statement, one opportunity and one article is not going to change. It has to be continuous conversation. So I really appreciate y'all. Thank you. That was great. Thank you, man. Appreciate you coming on, telling the story. You know, we hope we can, we can get this out there. So this was, this was great. Thanks again for tuning into the work. 
Just like Coach Penny said, HBCUs have a rich history of academic excellence, athletic excellence, and more. So do your homework, check out the history, and don't forget to like and subscribe and follow us on all your favorite platforms.